just as good as he does every Sunday morning, well, except for the hospital gown part. Um, that would be weird on Sunday morning, wouldn't it? And so I asked him, I said, well, how are you feeling? He said, that's what I just don't get, Joe. He said, you know what, they're, they're telling me that there's a problem inside, but, uh, but I feel great. And he's like, the, the nurses are shocked. They said, I shouldn't feel as good as I do, but really, I, I could just go walking right out of here right now. So we were chatting for just a moment, and then his, his cardiologist came in, and I got to listen in on the conversation. He asked him the same question that I was wondering, you know, how can I feel so good on the outside when I'm being told that there's a problem on the inside? And the cardiologist said, well, you know what, I, I actually, I'm not surprised. I see this all the time. He said, there's really far less of a correlation between the outside physical condition and the inside physical, the heart condition. He said, well, I've seen patients with very, very weak hearts be able to carry on all kinds of everyday normal activities. And I've seen patients with stronger hearts, they're not even able to walk across the room without getting out of breath. Uh, there's not the correlation that people would think. The, the, the outside, it, it doesn't tell the story of what's going on on the inside. And I'm sure this cardiologist, he probably has a bunch of medical degrees, but really, he, he couldn't have had 10 theological degrees and been able to make a more true spiritual statement. Physically as well as spiritually, you see, what's, what's going on, on the outside doesn't always tell the story of what's going on spiritually on the inside, does it? It was really true in Jesus' ministry. If you read the stories about Jesus, how many times did he really commend the faith that he would see in somebody that on the outside, they didn't look like they had it really together? Maybe a promiscuous woman, a, a dishonest tax collector, some brash fisherman. And then he would turn around, and the very next story, he would find someone that looked like they had it all together on the outside, and he would get all over them for what was going on on the inside. Now, I don't know about you, but when a cardiologist says, well, you can feel great on the outside, but really have a heart problem on the inside, I kind of think, well, you know, what's, what's really going on inside here? Have you ever wanted to add about your spiritual heart as well? In our series follow, we've said this about the heart, about the spiritual heart. We've said it's really, it's really not what culture will tell you that it is. See, our culture will say the heart's sort of your feelings, but biblically the heart is more of an encompassment of not just the feelings or the emotion, it's also your mind or your will. It's like the center of who you really are. Have you ever wondered, really, how are you really doing in your spiritual heart? On my wrist, I wear a watch and it has a little heart monitor function, and I can tap that button, and at any time I can see kind of how my heart rate is doing. What would it be like to have a spiritual heart rate monitor on you that you could just tap and monitor your spiritual heart? Tap that button and see, you know, is my spiritual heart ready to climb a flight of stairs or should I have someone go find the spiritual AED because I'm about to kill over? Well, if you've ever wondered that, then I have some news for you. I'll let you decide if it's good news or not. But Jesus actually, one day was preaching a sermon and in that sermon he explained that there is something in our lives that we can look at that will give us a pretty good idea how our spiritual heart is doing. This is how he put it the day he was preaching. He said, for where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, he's saying, if you want to know how your spiritual heart is doing, well, take a look at how you're using your treasure in your life, your money. To borrow that phrase that really became popular in the 1970s with the Watergate scandal, if you want to know how your heart's doing, follow the money. And with that statement here that we see here from Matthew 6.21, Jesus brings up a topic that really, let's just be honest, is kind of uncomfortable to talk about. Money. In fact, you might be thinking, what's the, 
can I think, can I sneak out of here without anybody noticing if this is what we're talking about today? It's all right, I, I'll see you. No one else will, but I can see from up here. I'm just teasing. No one's going to go to the bathroom now. They're going to just stay put. <laughs> but really, I, I want you to know, like, if you're here and you're new, this is one of your first Sundays here, maybe you're thinking what I would be thinking if I came to this church for the first time. Is this one of those churches that all they talk about is money? Well, I want you to know something. We, we don't talk about it that much here. But what we do strive to talk about all the time is what God talks about in this book particularly what Jesus talks about when he teaches. And if you start to read this book, and if you start to look at what Jesus teaches, you're going to find out that Jesus does actually talk about what we do with our money quite a bit. So as we get together on Sundays, there will be times when we talk about what Jesus talks about, and that will be the topic of money. And money can be an uncomfortable topic, right? See, I don't think that money itself is the uncomfortable topic, though. I mean, like, you don't drive past the bank and honk at people coming out of the bank to make them feel embarrassed that they saw you or that you saw them there. And it's like, you know, you aren't saying to your kids, I better not find you on that Wall Street Journal website. Not again. Nope, we're going to put that filter on. You're not looking at that money site. Money itself is not the uncomfortable topic. And you might be thinking, okay, well, it's not that. It's just I don't like people telling me what to do with my money. But I'm not even sure if that's it. I mean, we're bombarded on social media and TV all the time with people trying to tell us what to do with our money. You didn't watch the Super Bowl and then start like a Peyton Manning and Brad Paisley cancel movement because they were trying to tell you to buy nationwide insurance. You're okay with that. But you might say, well, you know what? It's, it's not that it's uncomfortable. It's just irritating. I mean, let's be honest. There's a reason that this cartoon, they'll try to put up on the screen for me too. There's a reason this cartoon's funny, isn't it? Take a look at that. We will find you. But, but really, there, there's a notion that, well, churches, pastors, they're really just out to get my money. Let me, guess, maybe help you a little bit. Like, our elders aren't watching to see how the offerings look in the next couple weeks to see how you all like the sermon, and if it goes really well, I get a raise. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. In fact, there's a little more inside info on pastors. There's a notion that pastors talk about money because they're trying to get your money because they're worried about their livelihood. But I, I think really the opposite's really much more true. A lot of pastors actually won't talk about money out of concern for their livelihood. Because if you think about it, let's say you had a great aunt Betty Sue and you're hoping she gets you, gives you a bunch of money when she dies. What's the last thing you want to do? You don't want to hack off Aunt Betty Sue. And if pastors were just concerned about getting your money, what's the last thing they would do? They would preach a sermon that is bound to hack off somebody. You see, we don't care about getting your money. We care far more about what Jesus cares about and what really we've been caring about in this sermon, and that's your heart. In this series, we've been talking about follow, and we've been talking about this idea that culture will tell you to follow your heart, but really Jesus says don't follow your heart. It's the worst thing you can follow. Instead, you've got to direct your heart to follow him. And when he comes to Matthew chapter 6, 21, he says these words, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, you can, you can take a look at your treasure and get a pretty good idea of what direction your heart is going. And that's the problem, really. That's really what makes us uncomfortable. That's what bugs us about this, because Jesus is bold enough to say, well, that how we use our money, well, it tells us a lot about our heart. 
we can put it this way. He says, Jesus is kind of telling us that your treasure is the measure of your heart. But because you and I really don't like anybody telling us what to do with our money, let's just change it. You can say it to yourself. I won't say it to you. I'll say it to me. My treasure is the measure of my heart. And that's the problem that we have with statements like this, right? Jesus is saying that how we use our money, it's really making a moral or spiritual judgment about us. And so when I read this, I start to squirm because really when it comes to my spiritual heart, I kind of like to keep it, well, I like to keep it out there a little bit. I like to keep it a little bit abstract. I like to leave myself a little bit of room for interpretation, make some excuses. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. This isn't abstract. It's a mathematical calculation. You don't need a counselor. You just need a calculator. You can sit down and figure this out. And in my life, I have friends that will help me. Friends from PNC and Chase and Rocket Mortgage and other friends that every month make this easy for me. They send me pieces of paper, and they're so nice, they tabulate the total at the bottom. They add it all up for me. A piece of paper, I can just find out exactly where every dollar I, I had that came through my life went for the month. And they're so nice that if I forget to write them back, they'll send me a second copy. They'll just assume I didn't get it. And if they don't get another response, they'll call me. You see, there's a pastor and author named Brian Cluth. He made this statement, and it's far more true uh, than I think we would like it to be. But he said this. He said, really, when you look at your personal finances, your checkbook, your financial statements, well, they are theological documents and they will tell you who and what you worship. You're, if you want to know what you really, really believe, what you really worship, well then, sit down with the documents about your theology that you write yourself. Measure the treasure to see which direction your heart is going. Now, I know, I know there's folks that are sitting here. I, I would probably be thinking this a little bit the same. I don't owe you an explanation about where my money goes. Maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you're even thinking, I don't even know if I owe Jesus an explanation about how I use my treasure. But I, I think there's a person in your life that you will agree that you do owe an explanation to for how you use your money. And that, that person is you. Don't you owe it to yourself to know where your treasure goes. Now, if you're a Christian, if you said, I've chosen to follow Jesus, then really the commitment that you've made is that Jesus gets your whole heart, like you've made the commitment to love him with all of your heart and all of who you are, so naturally you should be concerned. Is Jesus really getting my heart and want to know that? But even if you'd say, I don't really believe I've made that commitment in my life, we all have things in our lives that are important to us. We all have things in our lives that we would say are important to us. We all have things in our lives that we wish were important to us. And so if I sat down with you and I said, hey, Steve, hey, hey Mary, tell me about you. Let's get coffee. What is important to you? Chances are you're going to say something like, my kids. And if we dug a little bit deeper, it might not just be your kids. It might be the relationship that you have with your kids. You might say something like, I want my kids to know that I'm always there for them. Or you're concerned about how your kids are going to grow up, what kind of people they're going to be. You say, you know what? I want my son to grow up to be a caring and responsible person. 
Maybe it's your health. Maybe that's what's really important to you. You watched your mom or your, your grandfather or somebody close to you suffer because of bad health decisions they made, and, and, and you're saying, you know what, I want something different. I, that's what's important to me. Maybe it's just making a difference. Maybe you would just say, in 20, 30, 40 years, when I look back at my life, I want to know that I lived for a purpose. And Jesus is saying, whatever's important to you, if you want to know that you're actually doing what's important to you in your life, not just hoping, not just wishing, but actually acting and living like it's important, well then, you have everything you need to find that out. Look at how you're using your money, and then you're going to find out where your heart or what's truly important to you is. Now, I've become convinced, though, that Jesus says this to us because he's not looking to condemn us. This isn't one of those verses that he's coming at us and saying, you're doing so bad, you better be doing better. This is one of those verses he comes to us and he says, I want to convince you of this because I want to help you. In fact, I want you to realize that your money is priorities, true storyteller in your life. Your money and how you use it tells the truth about the priority and the direction of your life. He said one swipe at a time, one signature at a time, one checkout click at a time, you're writing sentence after sentence, paragraph after paragraph of what is truly, truly, truly important to you. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to kind of have this feeling of what do I really care about? He says, I can tell you if you just look at it. But it's not just to convince us. I think he wants to compel us. He wants to compel us to do something. If money is our priorities, true story Keller, then he's saying, ask yourself, what story do you want to tell? What story are you telling? Now, the reality is, for something to be measurable, it has to be tangible. For it to be measurable, it has to be tangible. Some folks here say, you know what, I'm pretty careful. I keep my finances pretty organized. I can tell you where they're going. Maybe you like the story it's telling. Maybe you don't like the story, but you at least know what it is. For others, you say, that's not my thing. I'm not very good at it. No one really ever taught me how. But for it to be measurable in your life, for you to really know, you have to make it tangible. So what we've done is we've really, we've created a very, very simple tool. It's not sophisticated. It's intended to be simple. We've even got a simple, silly name for it, but we call it the Treasure Measurer. The Treasure Measurer, and you can find it at butlercacorg slash resources. There's copies of it on the way out. And what it is, it's simply a sheet of paper that asks you some questions about what you really want to be important in your life, that it gives you a tool on the back that allows you to kind of track where everything goes for a month, and then it asks you some follow-up questions. So if you said, I need a little bit of help, help me get organized, that is one tool that you can use. You can find it online. You can grab one on the way out. Uh, if you don't remember either of those things, email me. I will email you one. But we want to put a tool in your hand because if it's not tangible, it won't be measurable. But here's what you're going to find when you do it. Figuring out what story your money is telling you, well, that's, that's not really the hard part. It takes some work. It, it'll require a little bit of effort, some time, and some organization. But what I found, and maybe you'll find, is that when you figure it out, The truly hard part is what it says. And confronting yourself with the truth 
Money is your priority's true storyteller, and sometimes we don't like the truth. So if you get confronted with something, you're like, oh man, I don't know what to do about this. I, I want to give you a little bit of good news. When Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, there's good news here because Jesus is saying, here's the way it works. Sometimes we think that, well, when I care more about the poor in our community, when I care more about evangelizing people living overseas, well, that's when I will give to that sort of a thing. But Jesus says, actually, it's the opposite that is true. Your treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart actually follows where you put your treasure. There's kind of like this uh, uh, caboose and engine relationship between your treasure and your heart. And your treasure's the engine and your heart's the caboose. And wherever you put your treasure, it's going to pull your heart along with it. Because your treasure, Jesus is saying, is really, it's the director of your heart. So if you want your heart to go somewhere, he's saying you put your treasure there first. Now you've seen this in your life. You probably never cared about paint colors, right? And then you bought a house, and you now spend a number of Friday nights, more than you would admit, at Home Depot trying to figure out paint colors. Never gave it a thought before. Or you never cared what the weather was like in Hawaii until you put that money on that trip, and it's non-refundable, and it's two weeks away. Now you're checking Hawaii's weather every single day because your money's there. Or this might hit close to home for some of us. You never even knew what the GameStop stock ticker was, but then you heard about this frenzy about six months ago, and you thought you'd try it out, bought a little GameStop stock, and now you're checking your phone every hour at work trying to find out what the GameStop stock is doing. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but for those of you who did it, you know exactly what I mean. This can work positively in your life as well. I, I was running with a friend a couple weeks ago, and I was, I was surprised to find out as we were talking that he had once been a really unhealthy weight, and he said, oh yeah, I, I lost 50 pounds. I was like, wow, you're pretty fit. H how did you do it? I wanted to hear his story. And his story started with, he said, you know what, it, it started one night, I was with some buddies, we were staying up late, watching football, eating a lot of pizza, and drinking too much. And I was like, if that's how you did it, man, we're going to write a book, and we're going to make a lot of money, because <laughs> everyone will sign up for that, right? But he said, you know what, he woke up the next morning, and he didn't remember a lot the night before, but he checked his email, and there was a confirmation email, because somehow the night before, he had joined a gym. So... He looked up, where's this gym that I joined? And it turned out it was on his way to work. So he stopped by the gym because he figured, well, if I invested my money there, I might as well at least try it out. And that kind of started the journey. But what really cemented it was when he told his wife how he had spent their money. And she said, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. And suddenly, he began going to the gym because he just wanted to prove that it wasn't a waste of money. He had put his treasure there. Now his heart was following but over time, something changed. It no longer became a matter of justifying an expenditure. Health and fitness became a passion of his heart and an everyday part of his life. Because where he directed his treasure, directed where his heart went. And Jesus is saying that's true in our lives. So we have to sit down and ask ourselves, like, what kind of heart do we want to have? Remember, our heart is our mind, our emotion, and our will. So you've got to ask yourself, what do I want to focus my mind on? What do I want to think about? 
and will this use of my money direct my mind in that direction, or is it going to distract my mind from what's important to me? What, what do you want your emotional life to be like? Is taking this job, is buying this second house, is making this financial commitment, is that going to bring me peace and joy in my life, or is that just going to bring me more anxiety and worry? What do I want my heart, my emotions to be like? What do you want your time to be used as? Will signing this mean more time or less time with my family? Will making this purchase pull me away from or allow me to be more free to pursue the things that are most important in my life? For the Christian, we have to sit down and say, what's on God's heart? It's how I'm using my money in sync with what God's heart is. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. This is why he's such a good teacher. Jesus is teaching this, and and, and really, he's bringing out stuff in our lives we already know, right? Like, I don't think I just illuminated you today that your finances and how you use your money really have a big impact on your life. And I think that's why Jesus talks about it so much. It's really because he cares about us, and he realizes the impact that how we use our treasure can make on our lives. He realizes that it's either going to create or limit opportunities for us. It's, it's maybe going to strengthen some relationships or really sever some relationships that you have. It's either going to ease or elevate your anxiety in your life. And so he said, I better talk about this because I care about you. Because Jesus realizes, Jesus realizes what you realize. A lot's at stake when it comes to this topic in your life. It has a big influence on it. But when we go back to what he said one more time, I think that we might realize that more is at stake than we might think. L- look at what he said. You probably have this verse memorized by now, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the word treasure here actually has two meanings. The first meaning is kind of the traditional meaning, what we've been talking about today. Your treasure is really what's valuable to you, where you direct your money and your possessions. But there's actually more uh, uh, of a primary meaning here. In the original language, treasure also meant the place where you collect or you lay up the things that are valuable to you. It's the what or the where or the who you put your money into. And this is where a little bit of background information is going to help us understand what Jesus' audience would have understood. So he's preaching this, this statement in the middle of a bigger sermon. You've probably heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you think his conversation about money is uncomfortable, you can go to Matthew chapter 5, verse, Matthew chapter five uh, through chapter 7 and just read that whole sermon. He says a whole bunch of other really uncomfortable things as well. But when his audience heard him say treasure related to the place where you put what's valuable, they, they probably wouldn't have thought of the same thing that we, we would think about. See, when we say, where do you put what's valuable to you, you might think of, okay, I'm going to put it in the bank. Or I might put it in a mutual fund, or I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. Or, or maybe it's more something physically valuable to you, like I'm going to put it in a safe deposit box, or I'm, going to, I'm going to put it in that old Fort Knox safe down in my basement, let them, let, me, let them try to get into that thing. But they wouldn't have actually thought of that because they were living in the first century, and, and although banking was sort of getting developed, that would have been more down in the big city of Jerusalem. But let me show you where Jesus was teaching. See, Jesus was teaching up here in the northern part of Israel. The big city of Jerusalem was down here, but he was teaching up near his home base in a city called Capernaum, right on the Sea of Galilee. And he was teaching out actually in the countryside somewhere in what's called the Chorazim Plateau. 
Now, I'm going to tell you why that's important in a minute, but let me tell you a little bit about the people he would have been talking to. See, these, these were blue-collar people. They were unsophisticated. They, they were kind of simple, and it, it, they, they would have been looked down on by the sort of the high-class folks down in Jerusalem, but they didn't care. In fact, they were, they were hardworking. This was a fishing community, so there might have been a joke about Jerusalem. The joke might have gone, well, down in Jerusalem, they call it sushi, but up here in Galilee, we call it bait. If Jeff Foxworthy was alive then, his, his jokes wouldn't have been, you might be a redneck if, he would have made a living telling, you might be a Galilean if, jokes. This is a very simple place. So when Jesus says, hey, where you put your treasure, they, they would have been thinking banks. They, they would have been thinking something different. They, they would have been thinking not Bitcoin, they would have been thinking like bedcoin because they were like, stick your coin under your bed type of people hide it there, or hide it in your floor, or really, because everyone knew to look in those two places, a very, very common place to hide treasure was kind of out in the field. In fact, this is what the Corazon Plateau looks like. This is the landscape now. Probably it looked very similar back in Jesus' day, except there weren't like power lines in the background. It's a very barren place, but it actually made a very, very good place to hide valuable things. Because if you hit it out here and you knew it was under that rock, no one would ever find it. Out in a field somewhere buried was the most secure place that you could hide something, but it didn't mean that there weren't possible things that could go wrong. See, coins could get moist and they could rust, or insects could get in and chew through your valuable clothing, or yeah, thieves could stumble across it, but that wasn't the number one concern. The number one concern for hiding your valuables in a field buried was, what if something happened to you? And so when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19, leading into a statement, he says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, or moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. The people listening to it would have said, yeah, that could happen, but the number one concern in their minds would have been, yeah, but what if I die? What if I am gone? And the treasures that I buried out in that field are, well, lost forever because no one knows where they're at. They realized that if they had buried what was valuable to them in a place that was unknown and they died, well, then that money would never go to pay for a wedding. It would never go to buy food in a famine. It would never pay the traveling expenses for a trip to Jerusalem during Passover. And Jesus' point to them was the same point he wants us to grasp was, same thing's true about your treasure. See, when you bury it in a place that it instantly becomes worthless when you're gone, you're wasting the treasure that he has given you. That's why Jesus says, don't put your treasure in a place where it's going to be stolen or, or rot or, or, or rust or in a place where when you're gone, it's going to be lost forever. He said there's an alternative Continued on into verse 20. We'll skip this one. Sorry about that. In verse 20, he says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and still. Sinner, are you burying what God has given you that's valuable in your life in a place that when you're gone, it's going to become worthless? It's going to have no purpose and no value. There's this moment uh, in every funeral that I've done. Most people don't see this, 
but it, it, it's what takes place a- after the service is over and after the family has paid their final respects and gone out of the room. The funeral director comes in, and uh, he or she will then begin to very respectfully remove anything from the deceased that the family would like to keep. And so there's this conversation that takes place. There's this conversation that takes place between the funeral director and the staff where they're going through items. They might remove a wedding band or a, uh, maybe a special pin. But inevitably, the staff picks up something like a watch or maybe a note that a family member wrote or maybe a pair of glasses and will ask the question, what about this? What about this? And the funeral director will say, nope, that stays. Nope, that stays. And every time I hear that, I think to myself, whatever that object is, that's the last time that anyone is ever going to see that item. It's going to remain buried forever in a box. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we go through our lives thinking that we're working and spending and saving and consuming, all trying to fill up a treasure box. But really, we're not filling up a treasure box. We're filling up a different kind of box, a burial box, a coffin, that when that lid is closed, all those treasures are going to stay. So what's the alternative? Well, one of my favorite authors puts it better than anybody else I've ever heard say it. Randy Alcorn in his little book, The Treasure Principle, says this. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. He's saying that when you live your life and you accumulate your treasure, the moment your life is over, your treasure will either stay or it will go on forever. So as we live our lives, there's a question that we could ask ourselves when it comes to what's valuable to us with the financial decisions that we make. There's even a song from the class that will help you. Does it stay or does it go? Does it stay or does it go? Jesus is saying that too. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So do you want your heart to be somewhere that will stay you want it to be in somewhere that will go on to make an eternal impact. Now, here's the thing, and I, I want to wrap up with, with this. See, like, what I found in my life, and maybe you found this in your life, is I understand this, but sometimes making that connection and getting the passion and the motivation is what's difficult. And so I could stand up here and I could tell you a story about someone who was massively wealthy who found what generosity could mean in their life and it changed their life. Or I could tell you about somebody who was extremely poor yet made a a small gift to something of value and God took that act of faith and, and did wonderful things with it. But actually, I just want to take a story that Jesus told and share it with you. Jesus told this story in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He said this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all that he had bought, all he had, and bought that field. At the church I served at before I came here, I was teaching this parable one night in a men's group, and I kind of taught it the the traditional way, like what we've been talking about here today, that this is teaching us that, that we really should take our earthly treasures and use them for things of eternal significance. And a man in the group put his hand up, and he said, Joe, I just think you're looking at this all wrong. Now, 
remember how at the beginning we talked about how sometimes the outside doesn't match the inside? See, the outside, I knew what I should look like. I was really trying hard to project. Well, please help us to understand we're all just here to learn the truth. So thank you so much for sharing how I'm wrong because we just want to learn. But inside, I'm thinking two things are going to happen. One of two things. He's either going to embarrass me in front of all these guys who at that point were older than me. Or two, he's going to come up with some off-the-wall explanation that I'm going to have to dance around delicately to try not to offend him. Either way, this might not go well. But I didn't realize there was an option C. And as he began to explain, he said, Look, yeah, this teaches us that we should be generous in how we use our earthly possessions, but don't we have to realize that we can't even use our possessions for anything of eternal value if Jesus hadn't come and done for us exactly what this story describes? Weren't we once lost? We were like the treasure that was buried out in a field. We were covered in dirt. No one knew we were where we were at. We were in a world where even though it, whether you feel like you're caring about people and trying to help them or just hurting people and trying to manipulate them, in that world it just feels like it's all kind of worthless in the end. A world where it's very easy not to be noticed, not to be cared about. No one even knows who you are. Sometimes in a world where you're buried under your problems and under your mistakes and you feel like there's no way I'm digging myself out of this. And don't we believe that there was a man who came along and found us when we were lost? A man who came along and even though we were dirty, he saw that we could be clean again. Even though we were trapped, boxed in by a purposeless life, he saw a life of eternal value that he could unlock for us. We were once the ones who were buried in a field. And we were, we were found by a man that we called Jesus. And he was a just man. He didn't just come along and steal us. Instead, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you the value that you can be. I don't care if it costs me everything I have. And that's exactly what it cost Jesus, didn't it? He, he left a life of riches in eternity to come to earth, to live out in the middle of a desert, kind of, as a poor carpenter. He left the mansions with his Father in heaven to come live a life of near homelessness as he wandered from one ministry place to another. He, he left the worship of a multitude of angels as a king to come here to be mocked by crowds as a criminal. But that wasn't it, was it? He gave up even more. He, he gave up the invincibility of his divine form, a form that could not be harmed whatsoever to take on the frailty of a human body and then to suffer everything that could possibly be suffered in that body, pouring out his blood, dying on a cross, taking upon himself so much pain. He gave up his life so we could have life. He gave up his treasure because he wanted to change our forever. He became incredibly poor to so become immeasurably rich in God. He... he lost who he really was before his father so we could find our true value before our father. He, he was buried so we could be unburied. He was abandoned by God so we could have abundance in God. And then just like this, verse says, he did it in his joy. He had the choice to turn around and he says, no, I will do that for you. You see, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then yes, a life of considering how you're using your treasures for your priorities will make a difference in your life. 
It will align your life with what's important to you. But if you're here today and you're a Christian, that you have such a greater motivation than that because Jesus is saying, I haven't asked you to do anything that I haven't done for you already. In fact, when Jesus says this, when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, I've already showed you where my heart is because that's where I put all of my treasure. I put all of my treasure in you. I gave up my immeasurable treasure to show you the immeasurable love that I have for you. He gave us his heart first so that we could give our heart to him. Jesus gave his treasure to change our forever. And what that means is he calls us to use what he's given us in this life to change forever ourselves. He says, not only do you get to participate in the love that I have, for you before God. He says, I give you the opportunity to participate in the ministry that I have before God. And that's the truth of what we believe, isn't it? Jesus, Jesus's, our treasure can change forever because Jesus' treasure changed our forever first. He gave up everything he had to change our lives forever. But here's the amazing thing. He says, I don't just care about your forever. I care about her forever. I care about your neighbors forever. I care about that little child downtown right now. I care about her forever. I care about your mailman's forever. I care about also the forever of the person that's on the other side of the world that you may never meet. And he's saying, I want you to help me change forevers for others, just like I've changed yours. And that's the message of Matthew 6.21 for your treasure is there where your heart will be also. Jesus says, join in my heart. My heart's big enough for the entire world and I want you to be part of it. And I'm gonna give you what you need to help make that happen. You might be here today and you might say, well, I've never even given Jesus my heart. I wanna invite you today, if that's you, to do that. You can give him your heart right now. He did all of those things that I just talked about for you. In fact, I want to invite you to bow your head right now. We're going to wrap up in just one moment. Before we do that, I don't want to rush out of here. If there's a person here today who said, I've never given Jesus my heart. I never even realized everything he did for me. I need a light of a life that's different. I want to give my heart today. I invite you, you can just pray after me. I'll give you the words, but they really represent the 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 will and the emotion and the thought in your heart. Jesus, I give you my heart. I feel like my life's been buried. I want you to release me. I want to share in your treasure today. Forgive my sin. Give me the eternal life that you've promised. And my promise to you is that I will live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with us, would you mind letting us know? We want to just follow up with you and talk a little bit more about the journey that you're on. Uh, you can text it to uh, 94000, the words, yes to Christ, and just let us know. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, uh, about our treasure. This week was a lot more uh, conceptual, talking about sort of the foundation. Next week, we're going to be a lot more practical. Five things that the Bible talks about that you can do with your money. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it's something that if you apply to your life, you're going to find out it makes a, a life-changing difference. I want to invite you back. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you. See you next week.